This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Argyle the better side up at the Hawthorns, but it's another goalless draw on the road. Much like Watford, this one also has several positives. The biggest one being Michael Cooper back amongst the sticks. Joining me this time around to see how much we can bleed out of a nil-nil draw is the Callum Burton to my Michael Cooper. John Alsop, how are you? Hello, I'm I'm doing well, thanks. Good. And that only leaves the Connor Hazard of the pod, Sam Down. How's things? Hello, yes, very good, thank you. Sam, I hear that you were spotted in the cubicles at the Hawthorns. What's it like to be famous? Uh, I must have a very good um, look-alike somewhere and sound-alike. Yeah, somebody must be doing a very good impression of me wandering around the the toilets of the Hawthorns because I'm I'm sure that couldn't have been me. Wow. Well, we'll start this one off with you, John, because I'm sure you can actually remember far more do you want to give us a rundown of the... the- My powers of recollection are still good, thank you. Okay, if you say so, uh, we'll find out in the comments after the pod finishes, I suppose. Uh, John, run us through this one. Yeah, really disappointing result. Unacceptable performance. Oh, sorry, sorry, I thought I was Sam for a second. Very good, very um, good. Oh, I'm sure we'll come on to why I've made that joke when Sam gets his turn, but my turn to set the agenda uh, to start with. Yeah, um... As you said in the intro, Aaron, I thought it was an excellent performance, uh, particularly in the first half. I thought uh, it was another away game where we went into it with, I think, exactly the right approach after those three in a row where we conceded very early doors and and obviously, you know, we ended up losing all of those games, um, uh, you know, not entirely because we conceded so early on, but clearly that sort of scrambled everything up. Um, but after going to Hull and sort of playing our way into the game there in a not overly cautious manner, but um, a manner that was was sensible, not too gung-ho and that, that sort of involved a high degree of concentration from the off. Um, I thought we did exactly the same thing yesterday, which which is pleasing. Um, I mentioned on the preview pod that I didn't think it was a question of us, you know, having to go and, and attack, attack, attack from the first whistle and leave ourselves vulnerable or go there and shut up shop and be miserly. I felt we could achieve a balance. And I think we did. Um, and I think in the first half, it would be only the most boing tinted spectacles West Brom fan uh, that would that would um, deny that we were the better side. Um, Whitaker has hit the post with a shot that was a little bit hard to see from the end of the ground where we were. It, you know, it didn't, wasn't exactly quite clear to me where it was flying until it smacked back off the woodwork but looking at looking looking at it back on the highlights it's actually a really good effort and very very close going in Payne Kessler Hayden also probably should have scored after the ball sort of squirted back to him from a deflection uh just inside the box I think he was denied by by a save from Alex Palmer could potentially even a block but I think it was a save on, on recollection um but but from there you'd hope that maybe he could just put his laces through it and get it a bit further away from the goalkeeper it's pretty much straight at him um and yeah, lots of other really promising attacking play. Um, and West Brom didn't have too many chances that I can recall. Into the second half, um, I mean, West Brom came out of the, the traps pretty quickly. Won a corner, I think, in the first um, sort of 30 seconds or so of the half. But as it went on, I, I felt again that we were very much in the game. Um, you know, if we if we were the better side in the first half, I think the second half was fairly even, which I, for my money makes us the better side overall. Um can't remember Michael Cooper having a serious save to make beyond a save that you would hope he'd make, but it's still a sharp one, especially for a keeper coming back after a lengthy injury layoff uh, shot from, from 25 yards, uh, I believe from Dean Garner, but I could be wrong about that, that he, um, I, think, I think took a deflection actually, it, it, it seemed on, on watching the replay and yeah, sort of sprang to his left and, and tipped it around the post. Um, for my money, we should have had a free kick in the build up to that for a crunching tackle on Houghton that I thought was excessive. Um, we'll get on to the referee a bit later, even in the absence of Joe Bell. Uh, but um, 
Yeah, beyond that, I mean, there's a sort of ball into the back stick, I think, where a couple of their lads have gone for it. Um, and, you know, that was a bit of a sharp intake of breath moment in the away end, but hard to say being so far away from it, whether, you know, they were within a toe of getting on the ball or if it was a bit more comfortable than that from our point of view. Um, but, you know, the, the best they really had was a few set pieces um, that we dealt with very well on the whole. Uh, and we had a couple of good chances at the other end. I mean, probably actually more good half chances, if that makes sense, than than really good chances. Bundu with a, a shot from the edge of the box, which um, Palmer, you'd be disappointed, I think, if, if he had let that in, if you were a West Brom fan, but still had to, to reach and, and tip it away. Um, you made another save. I can't exactly remember who from that was a little bit more comfortable, but but still involved a bit of a reach. Could we have nicked it? Yes, we could have done. Um, you know, obviously, if that Whitaker one had gone in in the first half, a bit like the Azaz one that hit the post at Holloway, right? That would have made it 2-0 in that game. Uh, maybe we're sort of talking about fine margins and possibly the, you know, we may have brought them onto us a bit more and opened more room up for ourselves on the counter-attack. Equally, could have, you know, prodded the bear and they may have, um, you know, surged back into the game, got an equaliser. Who knows? It's very hard to, to sort of say, you know, to, to lay out those counterfactuals when clearly... Um, you know, a moment that would change the game would change the entire shape of the game, not just be a change in, in isolation. So um, in the end, I felt, yeah, absolutely more than good value for a point. Um, and I think, I don't want to say any point on the road is going to be a good result at this level, because, you know, clearly if you're 2-0 up at QPR uh, and they pull two goals back in injury time, hypothetically, I don't think you'd say that was a very good point. But, but on the whole, it's true that, you know, more, more weeks than not, that the point is a good result on the road. And I think against a team stacked with with so much expensive talent who have at times this season looked very good um is yeah is a really positive result and, and performance and hopefully we can we can take that forward and build now towards uh towards the first away win yeah sam john mentioned it in jest you, you felt slightly differently about this point come the full-time whistle have you changed your mind on that yeah i have a little i think to clarify my point i i basically agree with john um, about the performance largely. I think we did play very well for the first half. Um, the second half, not not so great, but still certainly, you know, not far from far from bad. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm, ju- I'm just a little bit annoying that, that a lot of these games were at such fine margins. We're just finding ourselves not coming quite out on the winning side. We've had uh, three different occasions now, which has just a bit annoying that we have hit the post in games that are of incredibly fine margins. One of them was obviously the, the Whitaker one yesterday that would have put us into the lead. The other one, as John mentioned, was the Azaz one at Hull that would have put us 2-0 up and probably would have gone on to win that game from 2-0. Um, and the third, the, well, sorry, the first one, in order of chrono- chronologically have it happening, but the third one that I'm saying, the, the very first one that happened was um, in the Southampton home game, literally in stoppage time, Whitaker hits the post at uh, 1-1, which is literally in the 92nd or 93rd minute. And then they go up the end of, I think, literally two, two and a half minutes later, Che Adams gets the winning goal for them. So I'm I'm not disappointed anymore, really. I think on reflection, it it was a decent result. It was certainly a a good performance, very good in in spells. I I just feel it could really come back and bite us in the bum that we're not quite getting on the winning side of these tight games. Of the three games that we have won interestingly, all of them have been, have been by a two-goal margin or more. And you could look at that in a positive way. We had one by a two-goal margin on the opening day, then by a three-goal margin against Blackpool. And then, of course, by a four-goal margin that probably should have been even more than that against Norwich. So, in a way, that's a good thing because it shows we're capable of, of really putting teams away and really pressing the accelerator. However, it is still, despite that to me, a little bit concerning that we're just not getting any of those scrappy one-goal wins. We've not yet got a one-goal win all season. Um, and, and I think it just shows that we're not at the moment quite finding the knack of coming out on top of these games. We are just a little bit of a, you know, a little bit green, a little bit, you know, wet behind the heads, newly promoted team who who play pretty stuff and, and are very energetic, very brave, but don't quite have that know-how of how to grind out games potentially. And, and that was why I was a little disappointed. It was just another one of those games that, that could have been a win, but wasn't quite. Um, but yes, ha- having calmed down from that initial reaction, it was a good, it was a good result. It was a good, bordering on very good performance. And there are a lot of positives to take, not least Michael Cooper. But I won't elaborate too much on that because I know now not to answer our questions before they come. So there we go. Just to, um, just firstly, just quickly, what is quite entertaining about Sam's instinctively negative reaction yesterday, which I'm glad he has recanted today in the, in the full light of day. 
um, is uh, was that before the game in the pub, he was telling me that West Brom are a fantastic side who will definitely finish in the top six this season. Whereas I was saying, I think they are, you know, decent and certainly have the potential to be very good, but at the moment are a middling mid-table side, which I, I said on the preview pod as well. I think yesterday absolutely proved that that is true. And um, yeah, I've seen a number of Baggies fans who seem very, very disappointed by the performance, um, presumably the fact that it was against Little Old Plymouth uh, was was part of that. But, um, you know, I think, I think they, they looked a bit creaky and, um, yeah, just not very threatening. Um, but, but obviously, and I'm sure we'll come on to this um, in, in a bit, so I won't go too much into it, but, but I felt we did a fantastic job to keep their their dangerous players quiet. I mean, Wallace and, and Phillips didn't really have much of a, a sniff in areas that could hurt us, which, um, yeah, is, is a big testament to the back four. Um, just to come back on Sam's point, uh, though, more directly, I think, um, you, uh, yeah, I certainly think that it's a valid argument to say it's a little bit concerning that we're not, don't yet seem to know how to nick these, these one goal wins. Um, but, I would argue that you could also spin it in a positive light, which would be to say that we're learning to turn one goal defeats into draws and that the next step is to learn how to turn those draws into wins, at least some of the time. It's not a static season where, you know, the performances and the results and the pattern of games to date is definitely going to remain that way for the rest of the season. Um, Shui alluded in his post-match interview yesterday to the fact this is a learning process for a really young squad. And for me, I think it's much more positive than negative that, yeah, you know, obviously it would have been great to nick wins at Hull and and West Brom. No one's denying that. But at the same time, um, you know, off the back of three away games where in two of them we were very, very good but managed to lose – and in the other one, I mean, less said about the better at Bristol City. But um, yeah, we've, we've come off the back of those three being three away games in a row um, to a point where we've gone and been very, very good value for a draw at two clubs who are fancied at least as as playoff contenders at the right end of the, the table. Right. And certainly have a lot more championship experience and highly paid talent in their ranks than we do. So I yeah, if it, if it, you know, if it's December and we still haven't won away from home and you know, when we're not managing to win enough home games to sort of pull ourselves clear of that of that trouble area in a more convincing way. I'm not saying that I'll I'll be happy with that. Um, but just sitting here right now, I think it's a bit premature to say that that we're not learning how to do that. I think we, you know, you could very much look at this away form recently as stepping up from narrow defeats, narrow but heroic defeats, to actually showing the nows to you know not concede more than one goal away from home. Obviously, got a clean sheet yesterday. The next step to me is is to you know go to this type of side. I'm sure we'll come on to Ipswich at some point. Obviously, they've started extremely well, so it might that might not be the best test case for this as a kind of linear argument. But you know, going to games against teams that are in that kind of middle pack in the league and 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 starting to turn those draws into wins, I think the signs at the moment are promising. And I think with you know hitting the post, Sam lose to you know obviously one of those games was at home that the Southampton game. None of those efforts that have hit the post are like, oh my God, I can't believe he's hit the post. It's it's three really good efforts. I mean, the Whitaker one against Southampton is, is a chance he's fashioned out of nothing. Ditto his shot yesterday that, that cannon back off the post. Um, and I think the one in between the Azaz one, you could maybe argue he should have done better, but it's it's so close to kissing the inside of the post and going in, which you would say would be a great finish that I, I think you can't really fault him for like the extra sort of few millimeters that, that didn't um that didn't work out it's not we're not fluffing easy chances i don't think we, we are creating really good um efforts out of very little from a sort of xg perspective in in these games and at some point those will those will probably start to to go in a bit more often so i don't yeah i, I think I, I just see way more reason to be positive than negative about about the away form in particular based on based on yesterday and, and the sort of trajectory that it represents from the games earlier in the season. So without the obvious, put the ball in the back of the net, how do we start converting those chances? How do we start taking those games in which we get one point into games where we get three? I mean, I think you just got to keep having the efforts, right? Um, Partially. I mean, you know, these the football cliches alert, but if you don't uh, buy a ticket, you won't win the lottery. So we've got to continue to have those, to have those shots. I mean, I guess, you could argue in the second half yesterday, maybe we weren't quite bold enough going forward towards the end of the game. I mean, those those really good chances that we mentioned both came in the first half. And while, you know, I did like Bundu's effort from the edge of the box that Palmer saved again, you know, as I said, it's probably one way you'd expect the keeper to save it. So 
yeah, I think maybe we just didn't quite have enough shots in the second half. Maybe try to overplay the ball a little bit in the final third um, late on in the game. Um, and, and a very obvious answer to that question as well is is set pieces, which were terrible yesterday and obviously is something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Um, but yeah, we had a number of, of situations where we played it short and it didn't work. We then tried whipping it into the box and honestly, the deliveries just seemed really aimless. Like it didn't seem like we were trying to stick it on a particular head or, or trying to execute a particular pattern of movement. I think we had a corner in, in injury time where we basically left like five or six men back outside the box and... I mean, I completely understand why we've done that because we have been bitten on the counter-attack in, in recent memory. Uh, um, and it would have been a heartbreaking way to end the game yesterday. And unlike unlike Sam, I do believe that draws are good results sometimes. At the same time, though, I mean, you need to leave five players back outside the box against a team that haven't really offered anything threatening going forward. I mean, I, I don't know. It seemed, maybe it's maybe it's overkill. When you consider our attacking prowess from corners as well, what's the point of being in the box anyway? Right, but again, like... But then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't yeah, it, to an extent? If, yeah. Exactly. You can't, again, you know, part of the... Re- you know, you've got to get more players in the box for you to have more of a threat there. I mean, we scored that goal against Norwich, right? The second goal, which probably killed that game, ultimately. Um, or certainly changed the course of it in a, in a way that was really favourable to us. Because we had Gibson in the six-yard box, smacking it against the bar, and Scar on the penalty spot, knocking it in, right? So so that's your two centre-backs causing a nuisance and that was a that was a short free kick that we took i believe um that we've worked into a good area for a cross um rather than one that we've just whipped in and looked for a head but you know those are big blokes who can cause problems and i just felt maybe we didn't we didn't utilize those set piece um situations well enough and i think that's something we're clearly going to have to get better at and, and and that would be one way of starting to turn these these nil nils and one ones into into games that we that we edge but otherwise the boring answer, I think, is probably just to carry on actually doing what we're doing in attacking areas in these games where we are looking still very fluid, where we're you know having shots from outrageous angles that nearly go in because we've got players who are talented enough to do that. I don't think we need to, to completely overhaul the approach. Clearly, we're going in the right direction, as, as, I re- as I just said, with these away performances. The other thing I was going to say, and I know that maybe this is a, um, sort of cherry-picking evidence to fit my agenda because we did play 3-4-3 against Swansea and lose. I still think we're not quite playing the best formation to maximise our talent. I think, look, certainly yesterday was a good performance under the 4 3 3 I'm not going to deny that for a minute. Um, but I, but even then, the, the the cutting edge, I think, just quite wasn't quite there. We weren't quite getting enough players into the right attacking areas. There were just occasions whereby we kind of got to the 18-yard box and froze a bit because there weren't players making those advanced runs into the box. And I think... Whitaker and Mumba as, as the wide players in the 4 3 3. Too often in games like this, and I can get why, because we are protecting the point first, I guess, to an extent, but th- 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 it sort of becomes more of a 4 5 1 in that Whitaker and Mumba just end up playing quite deep. They're not quite penetrating between the lines. And obviously, Whitaker did have that great chance, admittedly, but that was like, as John kind of said, it was a chance he fashioned from almost from nothing. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't penetrating the back line. And I, I just feel that maybe we could. You know, I guess it's a sheer sort of numbers game, isn't it? The more chances we do create, the more likely one of the and the more sorry, the more the more high quality chances we create, the more likely one of those will go in. And if we are just going to be dependent on the kind of low quality sort of um, moments of magic, not low quality in terms of the the, the ability of the players, but the low quality chances that you're relying on. Um, something magic happening to score from. Of course, one or two of those will go in at times, but but not not maybe as many. And and I just think that you know the formation we play, as good as it can be defensively, as good as it can be in terms of controlling the midfield areas and having nice build up play, it still isn't quite penetrating teams and breaking them open. The most penetrative performance, obviously by by an absolute mile, was was when we returned to three four three for the Norwich game. Um, and and I just feel that um, I just feel that we, we we've got to do a little bit more of that. Um, or even if we are going to be insistent on four at the back, I would say four two three one rather than four three three because again you've just got those three attacking players who are pushing forward. And I know the trade off of that. I'm not you know I'm not stupid. I know that for if for every positive there's going to be a trade off. The trade off of maybe moving to a four two three one or to a three four three is that maybe you're not always quite as solid at the back. I do get that, but. We've got the we've got 
our best keeper back, possibly our best player, and possibly even one of the best keepers in the league back. And I think you can, and, and Lewis Gibson back, who who was a brilliant last ditch defender. So I think actually that trade off of moving to a more attacking formation to make more clear cut chances is a trade off worth doing. And I know that that's not the be all and end all because you know we did play three four three against Swansea and we lost. There's no getting away from that. But generally, I just think we look far more likely to cut teams open when we're not playing when we are when we are playing three four three and when we are not playing four three three. And I should add actually one more thing on top of that is that even the Huddersfield game at the start of the season, which we won three one, yes, that was four at the back, but that was four that was far closer to a four two three one. The attacking midfielders pushed up a lot more. So I just think we need to go a little bit more attacking, create high quality chances, then they will start going in. It popped up in my on on my personal Twitter, obviously Tom Kirk uh, mentioned that yesterday we you know we only had five attempts. So it's it's all well and good us, you know, saying about continue to create those high quality ones but caveat to that is that we created 37 chances in the previous two before that in which we lost against Millwall and Swansea so you know it's about those creating those high quality ones which you know yesterday as you said John there's there's a couple there that they hit the post in a slightly different way they go in and 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 whatever but whilst you're talking about it Sam obviously the, the back four do you think that's the case of us just using that away from home to be slightly more defensively solid and then using the back three at home to go a bit more gung-ho? Maybe, but then again, we used the back three at Holloway and I know know we changed to a 4-3-3 in-game, but but we used the back three at Holloway, which wouldn't necessarily fit that pattern. And I think we also then um, returned to a back four for the home game against Millwall, which which also wouldn't fit that pattern. So it's a little bit unpredictable. It's almost like um, the the famous old Shui Roulette has, has almost extended to formations as well as to actual personnel. Um, so that there doesn't appear to be uh, a clear, you know, rationale for for what 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 formations we use in what game. And that's not to say to me that there isn't one, because uh, as we all know, Shui is someone who looks intensely, looks and closely at data, looks very closely at data. So I think there is there is almost certainly going to be a reason for it that's far more clever than I could have thought of. But as a general rule, I, I find I find the three at the back to be to be to be better in 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 most scenarios. And yes, I know that you are opening yourself up to to maybe conceding more high volume of chat of quality chances as well. But I think that's what you rely on Mike Cooper for. That's what you rely on Lewis Gibson for to do to be the difference makers in the defensive penalty area. And it will allow us to do more positive stuff in the attacking penalty area. Yeah, maybe it's a case of if we don't know what's going to happen, then the opposition don't either. Just a few other people's opinions on yesterday. Uh, GMT said, excellent away point, clean sheet, grace two, good recovery from Shuey. Our friend Ben would have taken it before kickoff. Clean sheet is important. Azaz was very good, very strong. And after he'd called him lightweight, Palmer say from Bundy, Bundu, not Bunda, was a worldie. Uh, Cooper had a great save from a deflection. Another game of two halves and maybe a draw is fair on balance. Paul Burke says, a good clean sheet, by far the better team today, but... Uh, has been said before, we we need to do better when in promising positions uh, to get wins. feel like we need to get that away win off our back soon. Complete homer of a ref. I'm sure we'll get into ref watching Joe Bell's absence, as John's already mentioned later on. I don't know which one of you wants that or both of you. And Michael Charlick says, good point, fair result. We bossed that first half. Need to be more accurate with the final ball. They put us under pressure second half, but we held strong. Couldn't really argue with the bookings. I'm sure we will. Uh, but Shui talked in the week that we need to be a bit more streetwise, and we were. Obviously, there's there's a major talking point, and maybe we need to get onto that then. A great reception for both goalkeepers in the, as the away end welcomed both Alex Palmer and Sir Michael Cooper to the field. Um, a, a great tweet from Tom Sleeman says that Alex Palmer and Michael Cooper were both in the squad as we beat Macclesfield 3-0 in March 2020 in League Two before COVID struck. Just a few years later, both start on the opposite ends uh, in the championship. Um, how do we assess Michael Cooper's championship debut, John? I thought he was terrific. I think it was really, for me, a case of just realising how much we'd missed him, you know, watching him come back, essentially. Uh, which is obviously not to say that I didn't think we'd missed him at all. Clearly we did. But it's been a long, long time since we've... Um, been able to see him play in the flesh yeah it was just you know the memories of, of how the realization of how good he is just immediately came flooding back um and, and i want to say this is no knock on on either Callum Burton or 
Connor Hazard, I think with Burton, there's never really been any question that Cooper is a much, much better goalkeeper. But clearly Burton came in, was extremely solid, did what he needed to do um, to get us over the line for for, for, um, for promotion last season. Um, and, and we'll have the eternal gratitude of Argyle fans for that, I'm sure. And then since coming in at the beginning of this season, I actually personally think Hazard has done really, really well. Um, I am a, I am a fan of his. I know he's someone who divides opinion among the fan base. Um and then there was even one point at which I was sort of thinking to myself, you know, I wonder if Cooper actually isn't going to walk back into this team when he's fit. But I think in recent weeks, it's become apparent that while Hazard is good, um, he has maybe um, mistaken in more than, than Cooper does and is just less assured with his distribution than Cooper is. Um, I think maybe this is a debate we can get into or not. I think actually, arguably, Hazard is, is potentially a better shot stopper than Cooper, just slightly. But Cooper is also a ridiculously good shot stopper, in addition to um, all the other stuff that, we just, that I just mentioned. So, yeah, it became very apparent, I think, that, that he was going to come back as soon as he was fit. And once I heard that he was travelling up with the squad, I was pretty confident that this was going to be him coming back. You know, the timing seemed fairly propitious after an international break. Um can see why you wouldn't want to throw someone in maybe when they're not quite ready before a two-week break, but obviously then you have a two-week break to to assess fitness, get them some minutes in, in a behind-closed-doors game, allegedly, and work on the training pitch uh, in a sort of uninterrupted period of time. Um, and, yeah, he's not obviously he's a very experienced player now for us, so he's, he's not someone who was going to need kind of an away trip to bed in based on on vibes, you know, being in the match day squad. Um, and I had absolutely no doubt that he would come back in you know, immediately slot back in and look his, you know, assured, composed self. Um, the guy is clearly incredibly confident in his own ability, which is great to see. And and he yeah, and he did that. Um, and yeah, there were a couple of moments of of you could argue rustiness where he, he nearly got into trouble with um with his feet a couple of times. There's one in the second half where I think he gave them the ball and then it was popped back to their player who had pressed him, who was therefore offside, and and so it didn't really come to any any harm. But um. Yeah, you could attribute that to rustiness, or to be honest, you just attribute it to the sort of thing that, that Cooper sometimes does. I mean, they'll, they'll, you know, he's so confident and, and assured with the ball at his feet that there are sometimes some heart in mouth moments. Um, not that he he ever really makes um, too many very costly mistakes uh, with his feet. I'm struggling to remember a goal he's given away. In fact, playing out from the back, which is quite remarkable, uh, given that you know most teams who who play that way, the keeper will be at fault for. Uh, passing the ball straight to an opposition player at least once a season or, or so. Um, but, but yes, but there have been there have been a few near misses with Cooper doing that in the past, as you would expect playing that style of football. And so I don't know if you would necessarily attribute the, the couple of those incidents yesterday to rustiness or, or or just to that. But but generally speaking, his distribution was was top quality, and especially with his hands. I mean, some of the throws out were excellent. Um, there were times where he he made a really good take and then was like really desperate to launch the ball upfield immediately and get us on the counter attack. And at times you could see him getting quite frustrated because that option wasn't immediately available. Um, whether that's because we've got players who Cooper's not really played with at all or much and, and who need to sort of learn to offer that early option, or maybe we were just sort of trying to, to slow the game down a little bit for tactical reasons. I don't know, but, but um, it, it's a great option to have to have back. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think, again, not massively tested in terms of shot stopping, made the one save that was required of him. You'd have been very disappointed if he'd been beaten from from outside the box, albeit with a deflection. But um, yeah, I think he really showed how big of a miss he has been. And I think also, you know, to spin it more positively, showed the potential for what he can be to this team in terms of improving our, our form and, and starting to turn some of these very tight margin games around. I mean, definitionally, if you're losing or drawing games and not winning them by tight margins, then one or two small things can can really go in your favour. And having Cooper back in, um, being able to sort of create breakaway goals, particularly with how good we are on the counter-attack with this, with this distribution, it could be, you know, the difference between us going down and staying up very, very easily at this level. Great to see him back. It's been too long. And, and yeah, great to see that he seemingly came through the game with no, no damage and, and looking his usual assured self as if he'd never been away. Yeah, you're right. I think I was guilty as well of, of not really noticing what we were missing that much. And then just just yesterday, just seeing like that first, I think he catches the one of the crosses to the near post early on. And you just think, oh God, he's class, isn't he? It's just like the way he leaps, like leaps, the way he, oh, he's just, what a boy. It just exudes confidence, which is great to see. I saw some fans saying that they felt it was very harsh for Shuey to drop Hazard and that this was somehow, including some commentary, that this was somehow, you know, terribly unfair and terrible man management. Yeah, that's I think really, 
Thank you. Oh, great. Well, I'm preempting it. Uh, but I was just going to say, I think it's it's much more a reflection of how good good Cooper is than than anything to do with Hazard, and, and I'm sure we've we've not seen the last of him in an Argyle shirt. On that, Sam, do you think that's Cooper set for the season now? Then, like, there's no chance of rotation early on for a few minutes with both of them. That's it, set and forget. Mm, I I would say so. Uh, unless any of the following would happen, Cooper were to get some kind of other injury or suspension. Cooper were to suffer suffer a significant um, dip in form beyond which we've ever seen from him so far, or the third one being Cooper to be sold in January. I think beyond one of those three things happening, I think that spot is now his. Um, I think he's just, a, I, I agree with all that you both said. I think he's absolutely fantastic. I think he's a difference maker. He exudes confidence. Um, just the defenders around him. And again, it's not really to criticise Hazard too much because it's not saying he's bad. It's just saying that Cooper has all these intangibles that are, are, are so much higher. I've said very consistently for the past two two years, so I think he is our best player. He's, and I know some people say you can't compare a goalkeeper to a striker. It's like comparing apples with oranges or whatever. But I think just in terms of which player is the biggest net promoter for the team, who's the biggest net gain from having him in? I'd say he's actually a net defender. Well, very good. Um, but, but you know, who, 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 who is the best at doing the job they're meant to do? I, I think that's Cooper. He, his, his command of area was absolutely superb. He collected those those crosses with with total grace. That one save he made. Um, I've got a bit of a contrarian take on that. I think the deflection was actually taking it wide. So, I've, but obviously, naturally, he wouldn't have known it was going wide. As you're a goalkeeper, you're not going to leave that the chance, and it might go a millimetre either side of the post. But you're going to try and save it. So, I actually don't think he he kept that out. I think it was going wide from the deflection, but. He didn't know that, and he still did absolutely brilliantly to get down and tip it across. That was a really good reflex save, um, really, really, really quick reaction from him. So he did brilliantly with that save, even though I, I do think it was going slightly wide. He did brilliantly with that save. He, he did brilliantly commanding the barrier. Distribution largely very good, bar, you know, like I say, two slightly poor kicks. Um, distribution largely very good apart from that. Um, yeah, just cannot speak highly enough of him. Um, I think he, he, he is absolutely is here to stay. Just consider making halves on our FA Cup keeper, just because ultimately, you know, we're probably only going to have one, two, maybe three rounds of the FA Cup anyway, uh, depending on obviously who we who we draw and how our. That's incredibly pessimistic. Yeah, well, maybe we'll make the semi-finals. Who knows? But I, I would make halves on our FA Cup keeper just because that keeps him with a a bit of match freshness. Um, in in in, a, in what would be a relatively low stakes game compared to our league form, so I would maybe make halves on our. RFA Cup keeper for that reason. Other than that, would I do any rotation? No. I just think you have to have to be a bit brutal and just say that we, you pick you pick your best keeper at all times. I think Hazard is a, a very capable shot stopper. I still wouldn't say he's better than Cooper. I had a point I wanted to make on that. I know that you two aren't really massive cricket fans, but in, in, in cricket, um, there's a bit of a view of Ben Stokes. He's not a great catcher, but he's a maker of great catches. What that effectively means um, is he can pull off some very spectacular catches, but often he won't always do brilliantly on the simple catches. So he's not a great catcher. He's a maker of great catches. I wonder if um, if Hazard, in the same way, is not a spectacular shot stopper, but he's a, he's a maker of spectacular saves in that he, he does make some absolutely brilliant saves. That one at um, at Preston stopped it being 3-1 and, and, a few, and, and the, the one at Hull at the end were both awesome saves. But sometimes some of the ones down at his near post, he, he can do a little better on, I think. So I think there is a bit of that similar to Ben Stokes with, with Connor Hazard. But um, he's certainly a very capable shot stopper. Um, he's, um, he, he's, you know, a decent backup for this league. I don't think he's a player who I'd be totally comfortable starting every week for this league. But he's a decent backup for this league. Mike Cooper is levels above, in my opinion, if I'm being honest. What, what number is Fabio Vieira, Sam? Oh, uh, yes, I know the quote you're referring to. Very good, yeah. Well, number is Fabio Vieira, guys. That's going to totally go over everyone's head, yeah. But befuddled listeners, I'm doing the um, incredibly bizarre Mikel Arteta response when he was asked whether David Raya had become his number one at the expense of Ramsdale, which he has, it turns out. <laughs> um, but yes, try to diffuse the question by saying, you know, what number is Fabio Vieira? And it, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Okay, cool. Nice. Nice of that. But... Tumbleweed, uh, tumbleweed rolling past outside the window. John, you like this bit. Should we have a break? Yeah, why don't we have a break? Yeah. Oh, quick break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. We're back from our break. We're back from our break now, John. Lewis Gibson was given the official, you know, club man of the match. Who are you giving man of the match? Uh, I also gave it to Gibson. I felt like it was one of those where it was just a really good team performance and there weren't, there were no individuals who were like really below the level of everyone else. And, and similarly, no individuals who were really above the level of everyone else. Um, I agree that Azaz was once again, absolutely fantastic. I mean, I've waxed lyrical about him many, many times on this podcast and won't need to do so again, but Christ, the guy is good. And there was one particular movement in the first half where I think he just let the ball sort of dummy and then opened up a world of space for himself in midfield. Absolutely superb. And, and I actually agree with, I think it was Ben's tweet saying that, um, you look really strong um, in you know in, in the tackle, playing in a slightly more reserved role in a midfield three than, than sometimes he would play in. Um, and I think also showed incredible discipline not to get himself sent off after being on a yellow card for so much of the game um, because he was you know responsible for kind of closing down and harrying and you know only takes a, a couple of clipped heels. Uh, for, for the ref to produce a second yellow, particularly that ref, as I'm sure we will get onto presently. Um, so, yeah, um, he was very, very good, but I also felt he, he tired a bit as the game went on, so I probably wouldn't give him out of the match for, for quite that reason. Um, and I think Gibson, and, and, and it was close between Gibson and Scar then, probably for my um, for my award, personally. I think it's very easy to give someone like Lewis Gibson man of the match, as we, I believe, or many of us here did, um, I think pretty much every week at the beginning of the season when he's throwing his body on the line, making incredible last-ditch blocks. But what him and Scar did yesterday was actually more impressive, which is they didn't really let it get to that point, right? They just marshaled things very, very well, got their head on everything that came into the box and got rid of it, you know, I think, and hopefully we'll come on to this as well, that the wingbacks also deserve credit for for shutting down a lot of the supply from from Wallace and Phillips, who clearly are West Brom's two most dangerous players, at least who were on the pitch yesterday in my book. Uh, but but yes, but those two those two in the middle really just didn't give them too much of a sniff. Um, and I think you you know one could potentially look at that and say, well, I'm not going to give the man of the match. So I can't really remember what they did. But actually, for a centre back, that's probably among the highest praise you can you can offer. Um, so yes, I thought Gibson and Scar. Both terrific. I gave them both an eight out of ten. I think in my in my ratings that I sent around the Argyle Life chat. Uh, but I think Gibson of those two just shades it. Another one where obviously his injury layoff has been nowhere near the length of Cooper's, but but was three games. Um, and I saw him saying in his post match interview actually a bit unfortunate that his sort of his injury, which was a pretty minor one, fell in a week where it meant that he missed three games. But but even across those, I mean clearly including those those two home defeats conceded six goals in three games. Uh, so for him to come back in and, clean, and keep a clean sheet, um, I think is not a coincidence at all. Um, the guy is I'm not yet ready to join Joe Bell's early season assessment of him being the best defender we've ever had. Uh, I'm not sure I ever, will ever get there with that, but we'll see. But um, no, the guy is a seriously good championship defender. And, and yeah, and and it really showed um, just as with Cooper, uh, how much better we are and more solid we are with him in the team. Uh yeah, after after seeing how we were with him. Where is he on your list? Is he above like Branston and Paul Peters? <laughs> yeah. Uh what was that you said before? Somewhere somewhere between uh Christian Timor and, and Bulbitis. Uh I think I actually said that about about Ben Wayne and, and Strikers. No, um I mean yeah, I'd say he's up there. Hello, Sopolik. I find I find it very hard to compare players in general between our last spell in the championship and now because the league is just so different so much better so much more competitive but also maybe this sort of premium on players who are like more physical and slightly less technical in that in that position so like I certainly can recall being more impressed with Timar and Dumbay and Saip at times uh in terms of like how they played the ball but 
Gibson is is not far off that level, even though again it's hard to make a direct comparison. The guy is um is really very good indeed, and and hopefully yeah, hopefully we can get a good few years out of him at this level. Yeah, here's hoping. Um, Sam, did anybody catch the eye in the opposite sense? Anybody need to up their game at all? Obviously, a few online are starting to question uh, Bally Mumba's output, but obviously, like John was saying, that you know they deserve some credit. I think the front three. Whitaker's great shot aside that just clipped the post. I think the front three were all a little quiet. Um, I hesitate to say that they need to up their game because I think that was largely as a result of, of, of again, I think the formation. I just think that gap between the midfield and the attack wasn't there in the way I'd have liked it to be. But I, I think I think Mumba had a, another another quiet game. I think Hardy had had a quiet game. But again, I, I kind of hesitate. Certainly in the case of Hardy, I hesitate Sorry. to say that that's... Sorry, I just remembered that um, Mumba played in the front three and didn't play at wing back. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, so yeah, I was going to say. Um, yeah, so of the front three, yeah. Mumba had another quiet game. Hardy had a quiet game. Again, I hesitate to say that that's certainly in the case of Hardy. I hesitate to say that that's their fault because I just think that, that certainly Hardy in particular was isolated. And I think it was, a, again, a result of the downsides of this 4-3-3, like I alluded to earlier in this podcast. Um, but yeah, I think the front three... That one Whitaker moment aside did not look very threatening. Whitaker was the best of the three, um, for sure. But I, I don't think that they they looked great. Um, and as, as a trio, um, yeah, I, I think I think Hardy is, is clearly going through now one of his slightly drier spells in terms of goal scoring. We know that this happens with him. Um, we've seen it many many times. He'll go on a run of scoring about you know eight eight and eight games. Then he'll go on a run of scoring about zero and eight games. That's just the, the nature of him. Um, and I think he's certainly he's a, he's a, a, a much he is a net promoter for us. He's a player we'd much rather have than not. But we have to take the rough with the smooth, and this is one of his, his driest spells. And I'm I'm sure that some point in the next month, month and a half or so, he will get a goal and probably kickstart another goal scoring run. But at the moment, it's a little bit of a dry spell for him. Um, yeah, I think though, no, I think that that three up front were probably probably our slightly least least impressive free players overall, I would say. Mumba is uh, it's a bit of a funny one because I do think you have to give him a bit of a mitigation for not being played in his best position. And I think um, Ben made some very good points on, on Twitter and on the pod that people are being a bit harsh on him because on some of his more advanced, even though he's not got many goals or assists, some of his more advanced statistics in terms of carrying the ball up the pitch and, and getting the ball into dangerous areas are looking good. And, and I do recognise that to an extent, but... I just think for for a player that um uh, as kind of a marquee signing like like he is, I still want to see a little bit more from him because I know he's capable of it. Um, so I think Mumba Whitaker Hardy could could all have played a bit, could have all of uh, had better games, but to an extent, not not entirely their fault. John, was it you that said that Mikel Miller had his best game in the Argos shirt so far? I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, yeah, I think it was me who said it. And yeah, I, I stand by what I said yesterday, unlike some people on this podcast <laughs> in general. <laughs> I, I, uh, I stand by that particular bit, yeah. No, I thought he was excellent. Um, he's a player I've been critical of in the past, um, who I think has made mistakes at difficult times in, in, in games um, and who's... As you know, just as always for me, flattered to deceive a little bit. But if that's if that's his ceiling yesterday, or or I mean, maybe it's not even his ceiling. But if he can play at that level and do that consistently, I think he's very clearly an asset to the squad because he was he was excellent. Um, as was I thought, Kessler Hayden as well should have scored, but um, thought defensive side of his game looked more solid than it has at times. Um, yeah, I thought. Uh, yeah, I thought they both did very very well. Yeah, that that result leaves us in twenty first um, with twelve points. A minus one goal difference. At what point do we start to worry about the drop, or are you still not that bothered? Like three three weeks ago, if you're Sam, like five five oh one p.m. on the day we beat Burton one 0 at home park. If you're Sam, <laughs> are you worried at all, Sam? Um, yes, a little. Yeah, um, I, I, I I've calmed down a little bit from my initial frustrated reaction. Um, at, at full time, but yes, a little. Um, look, what I will, what I will preface all of this by saying is that we do have either the lowest or second lowest budget in the league. We are clearly on a great upward trajectory as a club, and even if we did go down, a lot of stuff is still very good at the, as a club, and we would still be very well placed to to go back up or to and, and just to, to become a much higher end League One club. 
uh, than we were before. I undoubtedly think that whatever happens, even if we go down, this promotion and having this year in the Championship would have benefited us. Of course, we may very well stay up, and I, and I hope we do, obviously. Um, but within the context of where we are now, am I a little nervous about, about the relegation? Yes, I'd say so. Um, I, I think we are just showing a few signs of, of being that that slightly naive, slightly wet behind the ears team who are just not quite finding a way to get results. I take on board what John said, that we're getting nearer to it. I really do. Uh, and maybe we will, we're going to go on a, a run of two or three wins in a row and then it'll all look very rosy in the garden. And obviously, I really, really hope so. Um, at the moment, I, I think we are going to be right in the fight at the end of the season. It's my honest truth. I just think we're... We're just lacking that little bit of quality, lacking that little bit of penetration that we need. Having our best player back, and you could arguably say Gibson, our second best player as well, um, Cooper and Gibson, having our arguably our two best players back, or certainly our, certainly our two best defensive players back, will will help us enormously. Um, I still think we've, we've got a bit of a way to go. I think Sheffield Wednesday are probably looking pretty doomed. Um, uh, maybe I'll be wrong on that, and then the manager will, will have a great run. But I think they're looking pretty doomed. Narrated, narrated, Plymouth Argyle nil, Sheffield Wednesday one. Yeah, um, yeah, and I know it's coming. I think Rotherham will go, in my opinion. I just don't think they look strong at, at all. And I think it's one more slot after that. And I just think we're just going to do all we can to stop that, stop that being us. And yeah, couple couple of wins in the um, in midweek, and then at uh, Ipswich on Saturday would would go a long way to to assuring me that that would be the case. Um, at the moment, am I nervous? Yes. Do I think it's going to be very tight? Yes. Do I think we're just going to come out on that right side of the line? Uh, ask me in a week or so. I I am not nervous, but because I it's not because I think it can't happen. Clearly, it could. Just because I think it's too soon. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll sort of um, preface this by saying that I certainly accept that Sam and, and, and many of the other Warriors could be right that, you know, we are a newly promoted side that have a lot of spirit and flair and, and just don't quite have the nails to win games. It could well be the case that that doesn't change over the course of the season. Clearly, um, if we continue at this points per game ratio, we will be there or thereabouts in terms of going down um it really depends you know on on how well the other teams do uh dan i think put in the in our chat earlier uh as a riposte to sam saying we would need 52 points to stay up the number of the number of points that the 22nd place team in the championship has had over the last decade or so in some years it's been you know it has been around 50 points but other years it's been a lot lower than that so so there could be a world in which our points per game ratio at the moment uh actually is enough um just quickly also as an aside at the moment I think, and I really want to stress at the moment because things can change very quickly in football, but Sheffield Wednesday and Rotherham look like two of the worst championship sides I can remember. Um, they look really, really bad. And again, you know, narrator intersects here to say they'll they'll beat us on Wednesday night. But um, yeah, I'm not. Currently, it does not look like a massively high standard at the very bottom of the table. I think QPR also look very bad, but with the caveat that certain type of managerial appointment, if they do sack Ainsworth, could maybe sort them out because they probably do have better players than us. But um, yeah, but, but beyond that, I don't, but I don't even think we look like the fourth worst team at the level. And I think, you know, we are 21st, but we're, I believe we're four points off the relegation zone, which is a buffer of more than one game, um, assuming that, you know, QPR even, even win that game and we lose, right? Which at this stage, stage of the season is not nothing. And... It, it, you know, it came after basically the the few teams who were below us and between us and the relegation zone won yesterday. But you know, like Watford brought home to Sheffield Wednesday, you'd probably expect them to win that game. Um, we were at West Brom, you'd expect us to to maybe not get anything there on on form, and, and we went there and got a really good point. So I don't think it's like this. I don't think we should be looking at the league table now as this completely sort of dispositive, negative thing. I also think that. To reiterate what I said earlier in the pod, this, football is not static and the season is not static. This idea that, you know, on the one hand, that could absolutely mean that Sheffield Wednesday, Rotherham, QPR are all massively pick up, that it's really competitive down there and we go down with 51 points after having objectively a pretty good season, right? That could happen. But equally, you know, it could be the case that we are not doomed to be in this cycle of playing really well and not getting the results that we deserve. Could just be very simply be a bit of, uh, as, as a friend of ours on another lower league podcast likes to say, statistical variance where um, some of those games that are going against us by very fine margins just start going for us. Uh, we've had a little bit of that so far in, in the sense that um, maybe we were a bit lucky to beat Blackburn in the manner that we did in some respects. But on the whole, I think we've had 
more frustrating games where we've come away scratching our heads as to how we've not got something or only got a point than we've had the inverse uh, for me. So that that could just change just by based on you know the performance levels basically remain the same, but we just get a bit a bit of luck, a bit more luck than we're having at the moment. But also, you know, we have a very young squad, and, and again, a, a very young manager who is in only his second full season as a manager at all and his first season managing in the championship and he's someone who has proven time and time again that he knows how to learn lessons very very quickly um like you know last season obviously we um were struggling in big important games away from home towards the run-in he came out explicitly and said we need to change the way we play away from home uh, and we ended up winning every single game away from home uh between um, then and the end of the season, um, with the caveat that they were against some weaker teams at the level. But even so, I mean, those were the sorts of games we were not winning earlier in the campaign. So he, he knew how to turn that around, even on the evidence this season, as I said at length earlier, so I won't reiterate, but, but just to reference back to it, you know, he's shown that he can turn a team that's losing 2-1 away from home in, in narrow, heartbreaking defeats to a team that gets a point away from home. He's shown he can do that. So he will continue to learn. The players will continue to learn. There's no reason that this this kind of frustration that we're experiencing you know more unfortunately more often than not at the moment is is inevitable um there's also the january transfer window which could change things i i think we're a couple of additions still away from being actually a really good team at this level as opposed to just a good team at this level it could very well be that you know we go on a great run of form and and, and shoot back up the table and end up in 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 the playoff conversation even though you know I, I wouldn't actually rule that out i think it's look i think it's unlikely and i think we're more likely to be in a scenario, in, in a scenario that Sam described come the end of the season, but I don't see it as inevitable at all. And obviously the kind of middle ground between those two would be just staying up very comfortably in lower mid-table, which I think everyone, you know, apart from those with very high expectations for us would would accept um, as, a, as a very good season, um, especially given our, our relatively meagre resources compared to the, some of the teams around us. So I just think it's way too early to start panicking. I think it's way too early to form a judgment. This season has been way more positive than negative in terms of performance levels. We've had one game again where we were just honkingly awful at Bristol City. Every other game I think we've played well-ish at the very least, um, or at least had at least been in the game right to the very end, right? In every single other game. I think that bodes incredibly well. I also just and sorry, I know I'm uh going on, but I, I want to say one more thing um to sort of counteract Sam a little bit, but also to offer us a little bit of a warning. I, again as I said last season on the pod, and I've said several times, I think we've been actually very unlucky in the last 12 months or so playing teams at bad times. And this season, I think, has been a real... Uh, it has been it has been absolutely the same, and, and probably more so. Um, at the beginning of the season, there were a few teams who could not buy a win. Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Middlesbrough and Swansea uh, come to mind. Um, we didn't play any of those teams at that moment when they looked really weak. We then had to play Swansea off the back of three wins for them when they were right in form. We're now going to have to play Middlesbrough um, in uh, 10 days time or so. Uh, um, you know, when obviously we don't know there's two games in between now and then, maybe they'll lose them both. But but they certainly look, again, like a really good side at this level now um, after a really, really poor start. They look much more like the team that got to the playoffs under Michael Carrick last season than the team that couldn't buy a goal or a win early doors. Um, we played teams like Preston and Birmingham, who with the greatest of respect uh, to those clubs, I think will be absolutely banging mid-table at times when they were full of confidence, surging, ascendant. Uh, you know, before before the table settled down. Um, and, and and in some ways, you know, that is also a bit unfortunate. So I think and Southampton and is another one where you could say, I mean, they I think actually do look like a pretty good side again now, but they had a period where they couldn't buy a win and were very ropey defensively. We could easily have played them in that window. So look, you've got to play the teams when you play them. And, and it's, you know, this this is not this sort of logic is not going to serve as an excuse at the end of the season. But I'm sort of offering, I guess, as an explanation and, and mitigation for why we don't have a number more, you know, three, four, five more points. Not a huge number in the grand scheme of things, but a number that would have um, Sam clenching a little bit less uh, looking at the league table, right? And everyone else, the number that would have us comfortably mid-table. We played Millwall in a very favourable time, though. We still lost to them. Yeah, and, and it's not and it's not completely universal. I, yeah, I, actually I get you. But I'm not, sure, I'm not sure I completely agree because I think that uh, they were playing essentially for the manager's future in that game. I don't really want to get into it too much. But yeah, certainly that, that is evidence against my form-based argument. But I'd say there's more argument, there's, there's more evidence for it than against it. Um, yeah, I think, the that, table, yeah. I think as the table settles down, we're going to be finding out, you know, we're, we're going to be knowing who we need to be and where we need to get points and where that's realistic, much more than at the beginning of the season where it's really volatile. 
That being said, the championship last year was an incredibly tight competitive league where there was not a lot between 6th and 20th, you know, going into the final few weeks of the season. That could happen again, but it probably won't, right? Like, you know, on balance, it probably won't happen again. And here's where the warning part comes in, and then I will stop talking. Um, but but I just sort of wanted to, to say this because I can see us being very, I can very much see us basically based on our coming games being in the bottom three come December. Because um, our next games are obviously Sheffield Wednesday, which is a huge game on Wednesday night, I'm sure we'll get into. Then we're away to Ipswich, who, you know, regrettably so far have looked like a fantastic team at this level. We're home to Middlesbrough, who look currently are in form and look like a very good team at this level. We're away to Leeds, who I think are an automatic promotion contender, no question. At home to Sunderland, very good team at this level, sometimes don't turn up. Ditto, then Coventry, who we play after that. I mean, that's a really tough run of games. It could very easily, we could get nothing out out of or very few points out of those games even if we continue to play well um and i and and i think the narrative then will be we just don't have it we don't have the stones i think we've just got to i think we've just got to sort of hold the line a little bit on that kind of thinking and accept that there are going to be teams among us that maybe we'll we'll get a surprise result or two in there i didn't see us beating norwich or getting a point at Hull personally and we got four points from those two games so i'm not i'm not saying this is definitive but at the same time um you know that is a real Really tough run of games but then you get into a part of the season where yeah you have a Leicester away on December 9th but before that you've got Stoke at home you've got QPR away you've got Rotherham home Birmingham home Cardiff away Southampton away but then Watford at home Huddersfield away Cardiff home West Brom home Swansea away I mean I think there's a huge potential in that middle portion of the season to get a lot of points from those games um, and I think that'll be a part of the season where the league is a lot more settled where again teams will always have good and bad runs of form and, and you know playing teams at good or bad times can always happen of course but i think the league will settle down we'll know what we're up against we'll know what what we have to do to stay up we'll know who we have to beat i think we just need to moderate our expectations over the next few weeks get over the other side of this what i see is a very very difficult run of fixtures and keep the faith um otherwise it's going to be a long season of listening to sam panicking I basically need to commission some podcast artwork in which um, I'm in the middle and John is sat on one shoulder as a little angel and Sam is sat on the other as a a little red devil. I feel like that would go down pretty well. Um, Really quickly, not not a wholly pleasing image. Well, it might be, might be, depends. We'll have to, we'll have to do it and find out. Uh, Sam, really quickly then, don't make this too long. Obviously we yet to win away from home but you've got a prediction of, of where our first away win comes right yeah it'll come at Ipswich on Saturday no it won't don't ask me to logically back it up sometimes weird results happen in football sometimes just stuff happens when you least expect it to just got a feeling that we're up we as a club and as a team are going to be so keen to do an over on them with their sort of arrogant attitude towards us at times last season and the way that their officials uh, stormed out of the lower league dinner when it was confirmed Schumacher were manager of the year. I think that's just doing the team talk for us. I think they're going to be a bit complacent. They're due a loss. They're due a game where things don't quite go their way. We're maybe, you know, due a game where things go our way. I think we'll do it. I think we'll do it at Ipswich. Don't ask me why. Are you taking another bowling ball to that one? <laughs> I thought I might mix it up a bit this time. Go for a set of weights or something instead. <laughs> Please do. I'd love to see Sam down on the weights. Um, uh, <laughs> not many people would <laughs> <laughs> anything else to add on West Brom before we do uh, the Joe Bell ref watch no who wants this first Sam go on Sam uh, I've not got that much to say I just think he was he, he, he was so card happy there were what nine yellow cards I don't, I don't think there was a bad tackle in the game really was there nine yellow cards maybe the one from Mazaz is probably the one that did deserve a yellow I don't think any of the others did um, that I think one Alton. from Mazaz Houghton's one, if I recall, he pulled someone back who was breaking away. I mean, it's pretty clear yellow card. Oh, yeah, OK. I, I did forget that one. You're quite right. And I made my power to recollection weren't that good. But OK, fine. I, I think of, of the nine yellows, I think maybe two of them were, were justified. I think the Cooper one for time-wasting was mad. I mean, that was that was, that was was the only time he even took remotely long. I mean, nor, you know, so often of those, you've seen numerous occasions before the ref even has a word. And even then, he still doesn't book them. So I think that Cooper one was very harsh. I think the Scar one was very harsh. I think a lot of them are quite harsh. I think even the ones, um, I think, you know, I think think even one of theirs is quite harsh. Um, I don't think there were many bad tackles in the game and suddenly nine yellow cards. Look, I I, I, I always make the one caveat with ref watch that 
it is an incredibly, incredibly hard job. Um, so I don't want to kind of jump on them too much. And were were there any absolute honking decisions on a par with the uh, GBH against Kessler Hayden not being given? No, there was nothing on that par. He didn't make any absolute stinkers of that kind. So I guess maybe of all the others, you could say that they were marginal decisions and he just went for a yellow a little bit too quickly. Um, but oh, that's nine yellow cards in a game that had sort of no bite about it, no malice about it, was excessive for me. He seemed to be a bit at the, the centre of attention. Maybe maybe he got a new notebook for his birthday, what, to show it to everybody. But yeah, a bit excessive in, in my view. I, I thought the issue was the lack of consistency, honestly. Um, I don't think there's there's one, again, one really bad decision that's changed the course of the game or anything like that. But, you know, you know, he books Cuba for time-wasting and then one of their players, maybe it was Thomas Asante, I can't remember exactly, booted the ball away way after the whistle had gone for, I think, an offside against him. It's a clear yellow card under the current guidelines, just absolutely a stonewall yellow card. And, like, I can understand him booking neither player or both, but... Booking one and not the other, I think, was indicative of his broader performance yesterday. Pretty much everything we could have got a yellow card for. And I think a few of them were justified, don't get me wrong. Um, but, but yeah, pretty much anything we could get a card for, we did. Didn't feel like it, it cut the same the other way. Um, so, yeah, not not a game that the referee dictated the outcome in or anything. But um, Joe's not here today, so I'll, I'll channel his uh, fury. You know, what I'm sure would have been his fury about the, uh, the lack of consistency from Mr whatever his name was of whatever shit he comes from. I was literally about to say, I'm really annoyed that nobody's told me which county he's from, um, which is Joe, which Joe is very good at. I, I suggested a a little change to the rules yesterday, that if a if a player knows they're offside and the, and the ball's played through, if they score it, they get a yellow. If they miss it, it's got to be a straight red. I think that would uh, liven things up a bit. I think they would stop shooting then. Yeah, I think that's it for West Brom. We've got a little... Uh, Andy Davis has been banging on about this game that we have to play. We have to play a game at the end of every pod. Let's give it a go. Um, we did it yesterday in the Uber, of which um, he will give us eight questions every week. So if he sends them in, we'll do it. If he doesn't, we won't. And basically, you have to guess the Argyle player. Uh, it could be current or former. He he did one yesterday in the cab in which the first question was, I was born on the 27th of October, 1994, and I managed to get it with my first answer of Craig Tanner. Not quite sure how that happened, and it will never happen again, and will never be beaten again, but there is no audio record of that. Yeah, I don't remember that. I don't know, Sam was also there. <laughs> oh, Sam? I don't know, I, I, I'd had a little bit of drink, I can't quite remember any of that. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> yeah. no I, I can confirm it did happen, and it was absolutely remarkable how he did it, but yeah, we. I think every jaw hit the floor in the Uber when he, when he did that, but yeah, fair, fair the enough. the first name that just came to my head. But anyway, so if you get it on clue one... Eight points, clue two, seven points, clue three, six points. Um, Andy seems to think I'm going to keep a recollection of this. Uh, I am not going to be keeping a league table of this. Andy can do that if he likes. Um, he's sent in the questions. You get one guess each, he's told me. Um, you don't get to talk over each other. Once you've had your guess, that's it. Okay. So is that one guess per clue or one guess per overall? He said overall, but I'm going to give you one per clue. There's only, um, there's only two of us here. Yeah. Okay, so question one. I was born on the 18th of June, 1986. Uh, That's great audio content. Sylvan Banks Blake. Incorrect. Number two, I was born in Croydon. This is making for thrilling audio as I silently try and work out how the person is. I'm sure our, Aaron, will, Aaron will cut the pauses, I'm sure. I'm so, so right, he'd be about... 37 and now thereabouts, so about 37, born in Croydon. So we would have either been quite an experienced player in our lower league days, or we would have been maybe quite a young player in our championship days. Um, the three, I'll, 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 I'll have a guess. Is it, is it Jake Cole? No, okay. Number three, I have scored in the top four divisions of English football. Oh. Probably an attacking player, you'd think, then, from that. Um, um, is it? Is it? That, oh, I was literally just about to say that. It bloody is, isn't it? I was just about to say Velasquez. John's got it, haven't he? Nope. Oh, we were both going for the same name. Well, I take it that's my guess used for that one. So on Number four. Then. This is the one that Andy reckons you'll get it on, Sam. Okay. I signed for Argyle. What about me? Well, I'm just saying what Andy says. This is the Andy Davis game. I signed for Argyle for 250 grand. Do you reckon I'll get it off that? Oh, it's, it, it, no, 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 no. 
No, it's not. Uh, it's not Nick, the most of my guess on that. Number five. Is it Nick Chadwick? No. I made six appearances for Argyle. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. This uh, is not going well for me here. Oh, I'm Jason Punchin. Jason Punchin. I was waiting for you to shut up so that I could say Punchin, you prick. I said it first. Jason Punchin. You have to punch in, in your answers quicker, John. That's right, though, is it? It's correct. It's Jason Punchin. The the other clues are I made over 500 appearances in my career. I've never won a major honour, but twice been runner-up, and I'm currently a manager in Cyprus. That's the answer Jason Punchin. There you go. There's the Andy Davis game. I think we might need to work on how to make that a better audio listen, um, but we'll call that, that. I like I like the concept of the game, though. I really do. It's a fun game. Okay, nice. We'll do that um, more often then. And then the only thing we have left to do on this pod, um, because I do the magic little cut thing that that these guys don't really understand, into the preview pod is to select a winner of the giveaway. Um, at Feed the Spud has been very kind um, and donated a poster. I might do too. I heard he was. I heard he was a complete prick. Yeah, he's not. He's not ideal. There was there was ninety two entries, so one for every single football league club. Uh, and Premier League club. Um, only 78 of you qualify, though, because you either don't follow or um, like the page on Facebook. So that's good. Um, I've just used an online thing and creating a draw now. The winner is... The winner was actually Lee Alger, but it's rejected because he doesn't follow us. Um, let me just check that. Let's just see if he does. Oh, he does follow us. Okay, he can have it. Lee Alger, um, if you give us a, a DM... I'm going to sort that out. And then, why not? Let's just draw another one. How do I draw another one? Oh, I have to put all the info in again. We'll have to do the other one on the um, on the next part, I think. <laughs> I ain't waiting here where you put 78 more names in again. Uh, and redraw. No, no. You just click a little button that says redraw. Oh, okay. And, okay. Uh, this is, this is where Aaron cuts my joke. It's where Aaron cuts my joke halfway through. Yeah. Um, and the other winner is a Caitlin Marden. So if you guys uh, DM us. I'm not going to DM you um, because that means you have to listen to the pod. No, I will if you haven't within a week. But yeah, give us a DM and we'll sort that out. Um, unless there's anything else to add, I think we'll call that a night. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. No worries. Thank you both. And make sure you catch up with our Wednesday preview pod, which will come out uh, midday on Tuesday. Yes, go and enjoy that. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. That's the end of another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Before you go, please make sure you drop us a review on whichever podcast platform you are using and make sure you follow us on Twitter at Argyle Life 1886. Cheers. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.